So this summer, a uh, commercial came out for the iPhone 4, and it said they had this, you know, Apple and their marketing. You know, they're, inf- they're, they're totally famous for their marketing. And their big tagline when they had, the, the, you know, the most cutting-edge technology, phone technology out there, the iPhone 4 comes out. Anybody remember what the tagline was? This changes everything. That's what they said. This changes everything. They have this, like, nice picture of the phone going around and flipping, and it's like you're, like, supposed to be like, oh, it's beautiful, you know. This changes everything. And uh, they have this feature, of course, on the iPhone where, uh, on, the, on the iPhone 4, that if I pull this up right now and call Todd and then hit FaceTime and it, we look at each other and can talk to each other on the phone and I can see him and he can see me and they're advertising that as, uh, you know, radically shifting the way we'll communicate and frankly, probably will in many ways. You already saw there's T-Mobile commercials out now that are like basically like Apple's chump because you've got to be on Wi-Fi in order to communicate. We can do it on our 4G network now and everything. And when they said it changes everything, really when it comes to uh, communications on, on cell phones, maybe it really does change everything when it comes to how cell phones communicate. But that's about it. It doesn't really change a whole lot more than that. You know, it just changes how we communicate on cell phones. Um, it doesn't really change everything. But today I want to talk about a story where like, it really changes everything. It changes everything. From the ground up, from the foundations of what we believe, all the way to the outer workings of our lives, it just changes everything. There, there was these kings in Israel, and they defied God, and they lived the ways they wanted to live. And because of it, they were taken into exile, and the ten northern tribes of Israel were lost, never to be heard from again. They were, they were taken away by the Assyrians, and that was it. That was the end. After that, the Judean kings also were in bad shape, and they were not honoring God. And there was some big revival that happened. King Hezekiah and King Josiah, they had these big moments of revival, but we're told that the, the hearts of the people weren't ready to turn back to God. So even though these leaders did everything they could to, to pull it back, it was too late. And, and the hearts had turned away from God. And so the Babylonians came and took the tribes of Judah into captivity. And Babylonia, Babylon was taken over by Persia. And the Persian Empire took over and King Cyrus took over. And so the captives of Israel were now under the command of King Cyrus. And King Cyrus had a new policy. Instead of ruling with just an iron fist, he wanted to kind of make himself beloved among people. So what he decided was, is those who had been taken captive by Babylon, he was going to now now allow them to go back to their hometowns and build the temples in their home places and worship their God. So he sends the Israelites, the, the Judeans, back to Jerusalem uh, with the charge to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. And so they begin to rebuild the, the temple in Jerusalem. And the last of the Old Testament revolves around this. I mean, you have Zerubbabel going back and rebuilding the temple. You have Ezra, the priest, who's leading revival of these people going back to Jerusalem. You have Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the walls. And you have prophets speaking into this moment. And that's kind of the grand finale in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, as it seems like there's something rekindling, just goes silent. Everything just goes quiet. We don't hear anything. And for about 400 years, we have no record of God communicating with His people at all. Just complete silence. 
after 400 years, there's this guy, Zechariah, and he is a priest, and he's getting old, and he doesn't have any kids. Now, that's a big issue for him, and especially in their culture, because that's really, you know, the promise or the uh, command to Noah after he got off the ark was to go forth and multiply. Right. When, when Jesus was going up into heaven after he rose from the dead, he told his disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, right? Make disciples of all people. And it was a command to multiply. It was the same command that he had given to Noah years before, except Noah, was, it was physical multiplication. And for these guys, it was spiritual multiplication. Abraham, same thing. He was promised that he was going to be able to fulfill this promise or this command of multiplication. He was going to have a nation come from him. And the Jews of the day saw the hand of blessing of God on them when they had a huge family. David talks about like having a, a whole bunch of sons is like having a, a quiver of arrows, you know? Like you're effective. You can accomplish what it is you need to accomplish. You're, you're blessed. Zechariah, we're told, and Elizabeth, his wife, Zechariah was a priest, his wife Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest, and we're told that they were extremely godly people, people of great faith, who just walked it out, who did what they were supposed to do, lived in faith. Now typically, if you live in faith, and if you walk things out the way God wants you to walk them out, we would anticipate and hope that the hand of God's favor would be on us, blessing our lives, and that we would see fruit in our lives, and we would see good things happening. I mean, picture, for, from my perspective, I, I, I'll picture a, a pastor, you know? He's an Old Testament priest, but I, picture a pastor who's, who's serving the Lord faithfully, preaching uh, the Word honestly and, and doing a great job preaching, loving the, the flock, praying for the flock, for, caring for the people, doing everything that he's supposed to do, and, yet, and, and living personally at home and everything the way they're supposed to, and yet never once sees a person come to know Christ. Never once sees any sort of growth in the church, uh, spiritually, numerically, any, no blessing. And it seems like, why is the hand of God not on me? Why am I not receiving favor when I'm operating faithfully? This is what was going on with Zechariah. man who just honestly did what he was supposed to do, believed God, took him at his word, and obeyed him, and yet wasn't experiencing the favor of God. Zechariah had a turn to go down to Jerusalem to perform his duties down at the temple. This is the way it worked. There was all, the Levites were the people who took care of the duties in the temple. And the Levites were split up into all sorts of different groups within them, like kind of the clans or whatever. And they were on a rotation. It looked like about once every two years they would go down for a month and spend a month down there and they would perform all the duties in the temple in Jerusalem. Then they'd go back to their home and do whatever it is that they do until their next rotation. Now, Zechariah is getting old, obviously. He's well past the age of being able to have children, and, and he, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing that he hasn't had kids, but he's still the priest, and, and he gets to perform his duties, and this is his turn to go down to Jerusalem. And he comes down to Jerusalem, and it's his turn to... Uh, to, to do all these things in the temple. You know, they offer the sacrifices and they, they, uh, they take care of the, um, the ins and outs of all the inner workings of the temple, the collection and all that stuff. There's one thing in particular that they do, which is that one of the priests goes into the temple and burns the incense before God. Now, this is a very, very special honor for a priest to be able to do this. And the way that they select which priest does it is they cast lots. It'd be kind of like rolling dice. 
you know, and figuring out whoever it falls to. And that was kind of their way of discerning who God wanted to go in and offer the incense. Now, you know that uh, we're told in the scriptures that the prayers of the saints are like sweet smelling incense to God. And that's a picture of this in, in the in the temple. This is when we offer up the prayer to God and we burn the incense before him. And it's like prayer on behalf of the people. We're burning this incense, which is supposed to be a beautiful aroma to God. And in the midst of that aroma, we offer the prayer on behalf of the nation. That's the priest going to God on behalf of the nation behind him. And one priest got chosen each rotation to do this. So the, oh, one other caveat about that, and that's that uh, if you got chosen once, if the lots fell to you, that was it. For your whole life, you could be chosen one time to do this. And once you were chosen, you can't be chosen anymore. Zechariah is an old man. He was apparently not good in Vegas. You know, it hadn't worked out well for him. Uh, he realized the house always wins. Or whatever. He rolls the dice and every time they cast the lots and it never shows up for him. So here he is, uh, Zechariah, and he's older in life. And who knows how many more rotations he gets and he's used to never being chosen. But this time, today, something's going to be different. Something's just going to change today. And so the lots get cast, and wouldn't you know it, it falls to Zechariah. And after all the years of him going back and forth to the temple, from where he lives to the temple and back, and, and going on his duty, performing all of his, the things he was supposed to do, this time, he actually gets chosen. I mean, how exciting would that be? If you, you know, I mean, imagine like you got passed up for a promotion your whole life and you never get the promotion. And then, you know, it's, it's like retirement's just around the corner. You're about to leave. And all of a sudden, you just get honored in this huge way and you, and you become, you know, whatever it is that you wanted to be. And you never saw it coming. At this point, you had long let go of the dream of being able to... And, and this is the moment where here, late in the game, he finally gets the honor to go in and burn the incense. It must have been really exciting for the guy. Extremely exciting. And so he comes in and he, he goes up and he offers the prayer. Now, this is what I think the prayer was like. Probably something like this, okay? Why don't you just close your eyes with me and, and we'll, we'll be with him praying. God, we, we are a people who have honestly not fulfilled what it is that you have for us. You are a holy God, a righteous God. And in your grace and in your mercy, you have chosen us to be your people. You have chosen us to represent you on earth. You have said to our father Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations. But God, when we look at, at who we have been, we've failed. And we know that we're to blame for that. But now, God, it, it's not just the Babylonians and, and the Persians who took us over. We came back and the Greeks ruled over us. And now the Romans rule over us. And, and here we are, God, oppressed unable to shine the light the way you asked us to. And we are a people who are still enslaved to our own desires and are not fulfilling the plans that you have for us. God, we're a fallen people. And you've seen the sacrifices that have been offered for you. And now I stand before you burning this incense, hoping that these prayers are sweet to you, God, and begging that you would forgive us our sins and you would heal our land and you would revive us again and you would again do the things that you used to do and you would fulfill the promises of old that you've given to us. And God, by all means, send us the promised one, the Messiah, the one who can lead us back into the plans that you have for us. 
And in the middle of the prayer, something happens. You can open your eyes. An angel appears right where he's praying. How many times have you prayed and your prayer got answered like that? Now, I don't just mean answered like you saw the thing happen. I mean answered like the angel came and said, oh, you were asking a question, here's the answer, and told you the answer. You know, how cool would it be if that's the way prayer worked? It's just like every time you prayed, the angel showed up and said, oh, yeah, I got your answer right here. For 400 years, God had been completely silent, as far as we know, with his people. And in this moment, there's one prayer that's prayed on behalf of the people. And this time, God actually shows up and answers the prayer with an angel. And he answers exactly, directly, what it is that Zechariah is praying for in this moment. For the forgiveness of their sins, for the redemption of Israel, for God's hand of favor to be on them again. And the angel shows up, and this is what he says. Hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And you're going to name him John, because he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, I want you to just calculate in your minds for a minute how much is changing in this guy's life right now. On the smallest level, he never got that promotion. He never got to go in and offer the prayer. But this day, it changed. Now he goes in and he's praying, and it's got to be this like crazy, reverend moment for him. You know? This sacred moment. And in the middle of praying the prayer, all of a sudden an angel shows up, which of course... I mean, how many times have angels showed up and communicated with people? Not many. How many people do you know who have actually had a physical manifestation of an angel in front of them? If you do know many, if you do know any, it's not many. I can guarantee you that. And the, the angel shows up in front of them. God hasn't communicated for 400 years. And, and it breaks the mold, as far as we know. Shows up and begins to speak. All of this changing right in front of him. And what's more is, is he's told that he's going to have a son. Now, Zechariah, unlike his uh, relative Mary, can't believe it. I mean, remember last week we said that Mary believed the news? She asked questions and she wanted to know, but she, couldn't, she, she actually believed what the angel said, but Zechariah, he has a really tough time, and I think it's just so overwhelming that he can't believe it. See, this is what's happened with Zechariah. Let me explain to you Zechariah's life. You might understand it. Zechariah is a man of great faith. He walks in obedience with God. So God said, do this. Okay, I'm going to be obedient and live my life the way God told me to. I go down to the temple and I perform the duties that he's called me to perform. I come home and I love my wife and my family and I praise God for my wife. I never quite see God manifest the way I wish he would. I never see him give me a son. I never get chosen to be in the temple. And frankly, we never hear him do the miraculous things he did in the past. But God said to do this. He's God. I'm going to keep being obedient. God calls me to go to the temple. I go to the temple. And there's this box that's forming in his life. This is what he does, this routine. And God fits within that box. Because he's never seen God operate outside of that box. And he's heard stories in the past from reading the scriptures. I mean, he's a priest. He knows that when Abraham was well past the age of having a child, that God showed up and said he and Sarai were going to have a child. And he believes it. I mean, he, he's a priest. He believes that God did that back then, but that's what God does back then. You know? It's not what he does now. And he, he knows that, that Rachel 
had a barren womb and that she was given a child, but that's what God does back then. He knows that God showed up in the form of an angel and talked to Abraham, but that's what God does back then, not what he does now. And the routine forms in his life, and God starts to fit into this box. What's amazing is is that in one single day, everything changed. Like everything about this guy's life changed in a single day. But he couldn't hold on to it. He couldn't handle it uh, because of the routine of his life. Now, there's, at this part of the story, this is the easy application. It's pretty easy for us at times to say we believe and we have faith and we trust that God can do the miraculous, that he can change my life, that he can radically transform a land and bring healing and revival, that he can change a person's heart. But after a while, it's easy to kind of get stuck in the rut where we don't believe anymore, where we believe but we're not expecting anymore. And the easy application right here is to say, hold on, continue to have hope because God can actually change things. There was generations between Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple and Zechariah and when this happened. Generations of people who never saw God move in a miraculous way necessarily that we know. And yet, he holds on in faith, kind of, and believes, but he has a hard time believing. But God can change, God can change everything in a single day. And he does. Periodically, he just answers the prayer in a profound way. That's the easy application. Now, that's not where the story ends, and that's not even the application that's important for us today. I mean, it may be important for you, but it's not the, one, the point I'm trying to make. The story continues. What happens is, is, because he has a hard time believing, God realizes that he needs to think about it a little bit more. So he closes up his mouth, and he can't communicate. He closes up his ears, too. We know that because people had to sign to him in order to get him to understand. So he can't hear, and he can't talk. Everything's closed up. And he has nine months to sit there and think about it. I mean, think about it. I mean, like, really, after the angel, after the, his mouth gets closed up, so when he comes out, he can't talk about it. They said he signs, and they, and they recognize that some vision had happened or something. But he can't tell them what happened. You know, he, he can't communicate. They're, they ask him questions. He can't hear it. You know, think about it. Nine months sitting there with no one to process what had just happened. It's just him his thoughts, and God. And he's just sitting there thinking about it. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. His son is born. And he can't even hear the babies cry when his son is born because he hasn't been able to hear yet. But eight days later, things change. This is our scripture right in the middle today in Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. I'm going to read, and you're going to stand in honor of God's Word. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had showed her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. Naturally, right? I mean, this guy hadn't had a son in forever, and he hadn't had the blessing, and now finally he's going to have the blessing. What are you going to name him? Zachariah. You only have one kid to carry on the family name. So they're going to name him Zachariah. Verse 60. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out 
what he would like to name the child. I don't know what kind of signs you do to say, how do you, what do you want to name the child? But anyway, he asked for a written tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now listen, after nine months, he's been thinking. All of a sudden, his mouth gets open, and here he finally gets to talk. So listen into what he has to say. Verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen. You can have a seat. So here's all the things again that happened, right? He, he was finally able to go into the temple. God broke the silence. He's going to have a kid. All sorts of things changing. Then he goes nine months silent, quiet, can't hear, can't talk. Then he finally, re- everyone, are, uh, he reveals that his heart is turned to faith and that even when God's blessing him, he realizes this child isn't actually his own. This is for God's purposes. So he doesn't name the kid Zachariah. He names him John. This blessing isn't for him. And so he names him John. And when he does, his mouth opens. Now, we have anointing services here and there at our church. When someone's really struggling, we, one of the things that we practice here is an anointing, an anointing service. And you should know this, if you don't already, that when you have something going on that needs prayer and needs healing, we hold on to James chapter 4 where it says, if any of you is sick, call the elders together and have them pray over you and anoint you with oil and the prayer offered in faith can make the sick person well. And so we do this and we bring people together and we pray over them and we ask God to move. Now, there have been moments, and Friday night, if you were here on Christmas Eve, I was sharing about a moment where we saw God move in a profound way in Jen once, bringing uh, real physical healing that was absolutely spectacular. But oftentimes, the transformation that comes from those prayers is a different kind of transformation. You know, we see it happen in different ways. I want you to think about it for a second. If you couldn't talk for nine months, and if you couldn't hear for nine months, and then we had a prayer service here. And in the middle of that prayer service, all of a sudden, you could talk again. I see people laughing because they can't imagine if they can't pray. <laughs> Which one of you two girls is thinking that it'd be funny if you couldn't talk for nine months? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah, it, it applies to either one of you. I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you two guys, which one's more happy with that scenario? Um, so after nine months, if you couldn't talk and you couldn't hear, and then all of a sudden we pray, and in a moment, you could talk again, and you could hear again. It's hard to wrap our heads around that, isn't it? That kind of healing. And obviously, it was, it's, it's huge for us, but it's not just huge for us, it was huge for them. It said that all of the Judean hill country was freaking out, all excited, because this guy all of a sudden could hear and talk, and so they said, whoa, what's this kid going to be about? You know, they were amazed at it. And imagine if you couldn't talk. This is a great moment to praise God that you can talk again, you know? This is the first time that he's had a chance to praise God over the fact that he's going to have a son. After, you know, this miraculous birth of these people who shouldn't be able to have kids. It's the first time that the silence has been broken and the, the angel has appeared and ah, out of all the things to praise God for. And yet when his tongue is loosed, None of those things are what he praises God for. Listen again to what he praises God for. Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He praises God for the horn of salvation. What is the horn of salvation? Horn, back then, was the symbol of strength. The bull horn is the symbol of strength. The power of salvation. The strength of salvation. Reminds me of Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. See, this is the one thing. Zechariah could praise God for the fact that he was going to have a kid, and that's an unbelievable miracle. And how many times do we pray asking God for something personally? I want to see fruit in the ministry, God. I want to see you move, and if he does, man, it's awesome. Thank you. And there might be some people who are blessed by that. God, it's awesome. I can't believe I can talk again. That's great for me. God, you're communicating to your people again. That's awesome for the Jews. But what he understands is, is that, the power that is being revealed in this moment, the thing that is being unleashed in this moment has the ability to do what the iPhone can't do. This changes everything for all people. That's why a couple months later, when Mary and, and, and Joseph, they, Mary's already had her visit to Elizabeth, and now Elizabeth's had her baby, and Mary's going back home, and now Mary goes down to Bethlehem with Joseph, and they go and they're having baby Jesus, and somewhere out in a field in the middle of the night, these angels show up and talk, about, talk to these shepherds who we talked about on Friday night, those of you who are here, and, and they say, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. All people. This changes everything. This doesn't change Zachariah's life. This doesn't just change Elizabeth's life. This just doesn't change Mary and Joseph's life. This doesn't change that generation's life. This doesn't just change life for the Jews. This changes everything for everyone. This honestly is the big 
game changer. And after nine months of sitting back and reflecting, having a child at this stage of life pales in comparison to having the Messiah come. The miraculous healing of my mouth and my ears pales in comparison to having a Messiah who can change my heart. The breaking of silence and having an angelic appearance pales in comparison to having a Messiah come who can allow us to serve Him without fear and make us righteous and holy, a people who can now interact with one another in love instead of selfishness. He can change us. And after nine months of reflecting, Zechariah knew what he should be praising God for. The power of the Gospel the horn of salvation, the strength of God that can transform us, our communities, our lives, our relationships, can change everything. And He did. And it happened. And He came. And yesterday, we celebrated it. So today, what does it mean? That's what we celebrated yesterday, is that He, was, that he came. But what does it mean today, the day after, when we look back and we reflect? What does it mean now? What's it doing for us now? If you got my parents' Christmas letter, some of you might have got my parents' Christmas letter. If you didn't, you may or may not know that Jen and I are going to be moving to a new home uh, sometime in the summer or fall, something like that. We're actually going to be moving into my parents' place. And they're going to be building some other place on the property that's a, kind of like an in-laws quarter or something. And uh, it's a cool thing. A couple of years ago when we uh, got here, uh, uh, it? yeah, I can tell this story. Um, we're coming to the end and I just wanted to see if I had time to tell you this story. We, a year and a half ago at Camp Swatara, not this year, but the year before, we were on our way up to Camp Swatara and I told Jen that, uh, I said, you know, it's been a long haul the last 10 years. We've been chasing this call in, in, uh, on our lives. And God's finally brought us to Parker Ford, back into the Pottstown area where we knew we were supposed to be. And it's been a long journey all over the place, living with other people and moving from house to house and going from ministry to ministry and uh, you know, having all sorts of different experiences. But God's brought us back to the place where we knew he called us. And we're here. So what did you want to do with your life anyway? <laughs> you know, and uh, she was like, actually, you know, life's really cool. Um, and I, I like it the way it is. She's like, there's, there's one thing that I, I think um, I really have been praying about, that for our boys um, and our lives, I, I'd like to have a backyard for our kids to play in. And I really think it would help when it comes to parenting with our kids, these little balls of energy, you know, and that, to have a place where they can run around. She's like, I think it would, would help us in our family situation. And I said, okay. Um, and I'm a guy who, like, if I had my choice, I'd live in downtown Manhattan. That's where I live. You know, I'm a city guy. When we lived in Chicago, I loved it. Uh, be, being in Coventry, the closest thing you get to it is a bunch of townhomes here, you know. <laughs> and so we live in the townhomes. And it's been great for the, for the replanting of Parker Ford Church. You've been in the community and had all sorts of things happening. But, uh, but life is about more than me and my desires, hopefully. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, as a family, we just thought, you know, we're going to start praying that God will provide a place where our boys can be in nature a little bit, even if it's a, just a, a little block right behind us where there's a yard. And so we started praying about that. A year later, Camp Swatara, uh, this year, we got the news that, um, that this was going to be happening with, uh, with my parents' house. And uh, a few weeks before that, I'd really been praying, and my brother approached me and, and, and was talking to me about it. 
and uh, said, hey, you know, I'm the oldest son and I really feel like as time progresses with mom and dad at some point, we're going to have responsibilities, you know, um, and mom and dad are in great health now, but um, at some point, you know, there's going to be responsibilities. And he's like, so I went and had a conversation with mom and dad and just asked them if they ever thought about having you guys move into the place and them doing something a little different, and, uh, you know. And he said it was funny because dad already had plans drawn up and just didn't want to talk to you guys because he was afraid of pressure in you or something like that, which is cool. And, uh, and I was in the middle of praying because we couldn't really afford to transition into the, the kind of place that we were thinking about. And we were really going to downsize and, and just uh, try to get to a place where we could have a backyard anyway. All of that said, at the end of it, it was just this moment that was a cool family moment. It was a real blessing, you know. And it was obvious that God had kind of been working in each one of us and it was a cool family moment. I tell you all that to tell you this. My dad, my, my parents have some resources, some financial resources, and they've been able to bless us with those resources. And many people don't have that privilege. You know, many people aren't in a situation where they can do that for their kids and where uh, they have parents who do that for them. And it was a huge blessing, and because of that, I, I, I'm grateful for it. But I want to tell you that that is nothing compared to what my parents have actually done for me. When I look at that moment and this thing, it's a cool thing, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it because it was like, it seems like it'll be good for our family and our situation. But what I'm really excited about is the fact that what my parents believed that they had within them that they could bless me with was far more than finances or, or making something available to us on a physical level that wouldn't have been available to us. They believed in the power of the gospel. They believed that, they could, that you can change, that a heart can be changed, that a life can be changed by the power of Jesus rising from the dead. And so what they did was, is they saw me as a little kid. And there's a couple people in this room who knew me as a little kid. A, a couple. Just a few. And those of you who do, did know that I needed the power of the gospel in my life. The rest of you who didn't know me, thank goodness you didn't know me then. And my parents knew that I needed to be transformed. And so every night, they would get on their knees on the side of their bed, and they would pray that the power of the gospel would reach from thousands of years ago into the present time and would grab a hold of a child who desperately needed transformation and that it would change my life. And they prayed that the power of the gospel would reach all the way down into the relationships in my life and form godly relationships that could change me and could help support me in a growth pattern in my life with God. They prayed every day that, that God would bring a godly spouse into my life who would, who would transform me and that the power of the gospel would somehow preserve that person and preserve me and build a godly marriage. They prayed every day that somehow this power, this horn of salvation would have the strength to take a depressed and arrogant and cocky kid and change him into someone who could actually help others instead of only helping himself. And you know what? On all counts, God has been answering the prayer. And it's wonderful to think about the fact that, that we, they'll, they'll help us out financially or they'll help us out in, in some physical way. But when I look at my life, any one of those physical things that's been spectacular, if I had to trade them in order to keep the spiritual thing, any time in the drop of a hat, I would give it up because I need the power of the gospel to change my life, to change my relationships, to change my attitude, to change everything because it can. 
And it's the only thing that can. And there's ways to find money. And there's ways to make different things happen. But there is no way to change a human heart and to radically transform a relationship that can't quite make it except for Jesus Christ and the power of the Gospel. And when I look at what my parents did for me, there's one thing that stands out. I mean, they held this word out and they put it into my head and into my mind and it was beautiful. But even more than just teaching me the word of God, they prayed that the word of God would come alive in my life. And it did. Believe it. It did. And those of you who didn't know me 15 years ago, praise God that you didn't know me 15 years ago. Because you might think that I'm a gifted communicator and a gifted preacher, but every ounce of gifting that I had, I used it for myself and to get what I wanted. But God, and only God, and only the power of the gospel, had the ability to take that and to fill the void in my heart and make it overflow with goodness so that now the gifts can be used to pour into someone else. Because by the grace of God, He blesses us, not so that we're blessed, but so that we can be a blessing. And the only thing that changes it is the power of the Gospel. And there's a world around us that has a birthright, an inheritance, coming from the Father above that makes us people who are light to the world around us, who are light givers. There's a purpose to our life that's respectable, that's important, that's profound on each and every one of us, and on the people around us. And we're to be world changers. We're to influence the world around us by the power of the Gospel. So often we, like Zechariah, have a routine and a box, and we forget that God is much bigger and much more powerful. And for him, Jesus hadn't been born yet. For us, it's already done. He's been born He's died and He's resurrected. We don't even need Him to do anything else. We just need to grab a hold of this power that's right here and we need to believe in every ounce and every fiber of our being that this is not a power of the past. It's not a power that's dead. He's the firstborn among the dead. He's the firstborn among the dead. And we are His offspring. And those of us who have felt the power in our own lives can praise Him on the day after the birth and say, man, that power, the horn of salvation did what no one else could do. It changed my life. And those of us who have experienced it, let us remember that this power, this grace, was not given to us just for us. It was given so that like Zechariah who prayed for his son, John, and like my parents who prayed for me, that we can pray for all those around us in our sphere of influence. Because the power is not available for just us. It's not meant for just us. It's meant for them. And we are the ones to disperse the inheritance. It's up to us to pray. Revelation 22.17 says that the Spirit and the Bride say come. We are the Bride of Christ. It's our job like the shepherds to go tell it on the mountain, to tell everyone, to say, did you hear? Did you hear that you're loved? 
Did you hear that all the stuff you're running around chasing won't fulfill you? But I got something that will. Did you hear? It's free. Did you hear? That's the bride saying come. But the Holy Spirit also says come. And the power of the gospel can touch the lives of those around us. Which is why Jen and I do the same thing that my parents did. And we get on our knees and we say, God, I need you to touch my boys' lives. Because I know that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. That we have been tainted by sin. But I know that the power of the gospel has changed my life and I know that it can change my children's life. And I pray for them all the time with Jen. We pray that the relationships at school, that the things that go on with the scriptures in their heads, that the future spouse would be there and that most of all God would transform their inner being and that they would become people who can profoundly take the light elsewhere. And what's more is that Josh and I pray for each and every one of you all the time because we believe that the power of God can transform you and can transform us and can transform us as a body. But what we pray is not just that we will be transformed, but that we will be transformers, that we will be light bearers, that we will be prayer warriors who will realize the power and invest it into those who so desperately need it. Our lives, like John the Baptist, weren't made to just carry on the name of the dad and mom before us. They're meant to carry on the name of the Heavenly Father before us. Our lives are not for us. The inheritance we worry about shouldn't be monetary. It should be spiritual. The job that we have is not just physical. It's spiritual. The power that is available to us is not just physical. It is spiritual. And so the activity that I'm calling us to engage in today is not physical. It's spiritual. To pray. To pray. To pray the power of the gospel. Listen in. Listen in. The power of the gospel. It's real. It's available. And there are people all around us who need it. Will we pray it into their lives? This is the last thing, okay? You know that thing, Pay It Forward? The movie? Any of you ever heard of the movie, Pay It Forward? A kid who's like, I think, as I recall, he's terminal with some disease and He's trying to figure out what to do with his life and so he decides to do a good deed to start this chain of events where he'll, he'll do something good for someone else and then he, like, there's like this card that says, I don't expect anything in return from you. I'm just asking you to do something nice to someone else. So, school, oh, okay, there we go, school project. And what happens? Oh, okay, okay. And that's right, and then everyone shows up. All the people, so it's a school project and the kid... The kid uh, goes and they do this pay it forward thing where they do a good deed for someone that doesn't get rewarded, but it, the only response is that you do something nice for the other person. The kid at, at the end of his life passes away as a child and these people show up and there's all these people who are affected by it. The idea of it is wonderful. It's idealistic and it doesn't take into account depravity because the fact is, is that without Christ, we consume more than we give every time. There's a black hole that's in us that needs to be filled. And no matter how much we try to do a good deed and not expect things in return, the reality is, is that we are fallen people who are desperate 
mongers of all sorts of good because there's an emptiness that's in us that can't be fulfilled and so we consume and we consume and there's these ideas in our head about how things are supposed to be different i know it's supposed to be different and so if i can just pay it forward and not expect anything in return but we can't except for the power of the gospel that can fulfill us and can change it and so no matter how much we try to pay it forward we're empty until god fulfills us The moral of the story (laughs) is that we can't pay it forward because there's nothing we can do to fulfill another person, but we can pray it forward because there's something that he can do to change another life. And I'm not sure how much we believe in prayer, but I hope that we believe in it more by the end of this message than we did at the beginning. I hope that we believe in it more every year together at Parker Ford Church. I hope that we believe that this horn of salvation, this power of God is available to those in desperate need. And that we don't expect that our efforts have the ability to change things. If we do, we'll be like Zachariah who goes in the box and can't expect God to move. If we expect the profound, if we expect real transformation to happen, not just ideas to float around in our head, but to see power to actually change something. It will not happen by our efforts. It will not happen by our actions. It will happen because a child was born, because he died, and because he was resurrected, and we believe that that power is enough to change another's life. So we pray it into their lives. Let's pray.